One of my favorite pastors and preachers modern day is uh, a guy by the name of uh, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. Some of you probably have heard him, maybe read some of his books. And uh, he tells the story of a, a dad and a son and uh, highlights the fact that some people fall into temptation uh, while many people plan for temptation ahead of time. And the story goes like this. Son ordered the father, don't swim in that canal. Okay, dad, the son answered. But he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, demanded the father. Swimming in the canal, the son said. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, asked the father. Yes, sir, answered the boy. Why did you, he asked. Well, dad, he explained, I, I had the bathing suit with me and I, I just couldn't resist the temptation. Why'd you take your bathing suit with you, asked the dad. And the little boy responded by saying this. He said, so I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted to swim. I love that story. But I think it highlights what many of us, me included, you included, go through with temptation, don't we? Like we know it's coming and we prepare for it, not prepared to resist it. But we prepare, in many cases, to give in, don't we? That is the whole story of God and man in a nutshell, that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And after we accept him as our Savior, we have the opportunity to live our lives for him. But so often, in doing so, in living this life, because we are sinful creatures and we mess up and we make mistakes, um, we often go to one extreme or the other. And we dive in sometimes to temptation because we completely miss that that temptation was right on us. I, I believe that God has a, a better plan for us than the little boy with the swimming trunks. I believe that he has a plan for us to actually be prepared to resist the temptation, not be prepared to dive headfirst into the sin the temptation is leading us to. But I think that sometimes, because we believe that we serve a God that is so holy and so divine and so wonderful, which is all very true, that we can't relate to him when in reality, he experienced temptation just like you and I. And that's what we're talking about during this month of December, during the Christmas season of 2014, is God with us, Emmanuel. And God, in choosing to become a human being, in choosing to become that little baby that was born there in Bethlehem, as we just sang about, in choosing to do that, he didn't protect himself or keep himself from some of the things that you and I go through. He was all God and all man. And he faced many of the things that we face on a regular basis, just like rejection. We talked about that last week. And just like temptation, we're going to be talking about that this week as we discover what it means that God is Emmanuel, the incarnate Christ, God with us. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning, and Merry Christmas to you. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you chose to come out and, and worship with us and, and be with us. And we're in this series that we've entitled God with us, and uh, I, I'm learning so much just personally about what it means that God chose to become 
become human. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series this Christmas is I think that kind of our tendency in church is to focus on the divine nature of God, which is all good. It really is. Uh, because he, he is holy, and, and he is righteous, and he is loving, and he is uh, merciful, and he is all-knowing, and he, he is all-present, and uh, he is there to help us in times of trouble. But I think that sometimes we focus so much on the divinity of God, the, 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 how powerful and wonderful he is, and rightly so, that sometimes we forget that God, listen, God chose to do this. He chose to become human and in doing so, he related to every situation that you and I potentially go through. He, he chose to, to become human and, and relate to, to all that we experience, but he didn't sin. And that's the beautiful part about the God-man story. That's the beautiful part about God becoming mankind, the incarnate God in Jesus Christ. There are two times in Scripture, one in Isaiah and one in Matthew, where we see this name used, Emmanuel, and it literally means God with us. And we, we began three weeks ago by talking about the, the, the impact of that. And I think sometimes we forget about the impact of that. I mean, just the word with is such an intimate word for God to use, isn't it? Like he wanted to be with us. I don't know about you. I wake up some days and I'm like, I can't imagine that God wanted to be with me today or yesterday. Like I had a bad day. And he still wanted to be with me. That's what God did by sending Jesus. And there are so many ways that we can connect with him and that God becomes much more personal and intimate with us because he experienced what we experience. And so this Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us, is important for us to understand because from a macro level, from a big level, um, to, to save us from our sins, um, there had to be a perfect sacrifice, and that's what God did. He chose in an unusual way, like we just sang about, to send a, a child to this earth to grow up to be a man, to not become a king, just a regular rabbi who, who, who had a different message than what most rabbis did. He was a carpenter by trade, uh, and, and God chose from a kind of a large-scale 40,000-foot uh, level uh, to save mankind through his son, Jesus. A perfect person was needed. We'll come back to that at the end today. A perfect person was needed, a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. And that's one of the uh, uh, things that I, I want to point out today, one of the uh, maybe uh, misunderstandings about temptation is, first of all, that temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. You see, Jesus was tempted, we'll look at this in a moment, Jesus was tempted in very much the way you and I are tempted. In fact, I believe in the exact ways that you and I are tempted. But because he was God, he didn't sin. Temptation in itself is not sin. And so when you're tempted, don't let anybody tell you that that is a sin. That is not a sin. It is the resulting action that you and I make or the choice that we make as a result of the temptation that leads to sin. And we have to make a distinction between the two. There has to be a distinction between temptation and actual sin. 
for, for those of you who are here today and uh, you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you're here and, uh, you know, it's Christmas, so you promised someone you'd come to their church on Christmas, so you're here today, um, not under duress, but maybe you really didn't want to come here, or you're skeptical, um, you, you may be here today, and my prayer for you is, is that something that was sung or will be sung or something that was said, or maybe God just impresses upon you today um, to make a decision to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. But today's message is really geared towards those of you who are followers of Christ. Because let's face it, this whole idea of temptation is something that none of us can escape. Am I right? I mean, none of us can escape this. I don't know about you. I have temptations every day. There are some days I have temptations every hour. There are some weeks that it just seems relentless, doesn't it? That we are tempted over and over and over and over again. And before we say, man, there is no one that has, has experienced the kind of temptation that I experience, be careful. Because Jesus has experienced the kind of temptation that you and I all have experienced. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today. When you walked in today, you received notes, and uh, the notes are going to be kind of a guide for us, a springboard for us to, to kind of uh, jump from, and you can access those online through our website, or if you uh, have the app downloaded on your device, you can go there. Temptation is an incredibly powerful thing. It's an incredibly powerful thing. In fact, John Piper once said that um, sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. And then he follows that statement by saying the power of temptation is the prospect, is the prospect that it will make me happier, right? Think about that for a moment. Sin is uh, the power there in sin. It gets its power by persuading me to believe that I'll be more happy, right? Because we all want to be happy, right? Reference our last message series on the book of uh, Philippians. Uh, we, we want to be more happy, and the sin gets its power by persuading us to believe that we can become more happy if we follow it. And, and temptation, the power of temptation, is the prospect that that sin will do that. That's what temptation is. And so temptation is there to lure us or to draw us into sin. And we have to face the reality that we all have temptation every day. And we can't avoid all temptation all the time. There are going to be times that by just living, we are going to be tempted in certain areas. For some of you, those areas are different than me. For me, they may be different for you. But we all are pulled in and lured by temptation itself. Well, I think the first thing that we have to understand about Jesus the Emmanuel, God with us, is first of all, and it's in your notes, it's point number one, that Jesus understands our everyday temptation because he was tempted in the very same way. Jesus understands our everyday temptations because he was tempted in the very same way. But it's wrong for us to take the leap from, well, Jesus understands so I can just give in. That's the wrong direction for those of you who are here today and your Christ followers to go. It's a mistake to think that we can say, uh, you know, our, our lives are honoring to God if we just continue and continue and to continue to give into that temptation. No, because Jesus faced that, 
he identifies with us. And because he identifies with us, that means we can identify back with him and understand what he went through and learn to do what he did when he was faced with the temptation. We're going to be taking a look at this one passage today and a few other little passages that will be supporting. But uh, I love this passage because this really kind of hones in, hones in uh, on, on how Jesus uh, really worked through the fact that he was, he was all man, yet all God at the same time. And so we're going to point a few things out as we read today. Matthew chapter 4, the words will be on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bibles. This is from the English Standard Version, which is the main one that we use here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Let's dive in. Then Jesus, by the way, this is before Jesus begins his ministry, his main part of his ministry. So this is uh, as he is growing up and, and as he is getting older, he's about ready to head into his ministry. And here's, here's where we start. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Just stop there for a moment. Do you, do you, did you hear that? Jesus was led by God's Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the, by the devil. Okay? That's interesting, isn't it? That God would lead him to that temptation. Now, that's a little bit different for you and I because there's part of prophecy that had to be fulfilled in Jesus' life. He had to be tempted. We're going to talk about that at the end. He had to be tempted for real redemption to happen through him. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but I just wanted to point that out. Verse number 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Hungry, wouldn't you be? <laughs> We're hungry like after Todd preaches too long. You know, 40 minutes is about it, and we got to get to lunch, right? Okay, I understand that. I, my family tells me that every week. So anyway, uh, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You and I would be hungry too after 40 days and 40 nights, okay? Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones right here to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, as it is written, or it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what word that comes from the mouth of God, the first temptation. We'll come back to it and talk about it in a minute. Second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, by the way, the pinnacle of the temple, as I have always studied this, I kind of viewed that maybe somewhere on the temple there was some kind of spire, you know, and Jesus and Satan are up on top of that spire. It's not true. That word pinnacle means portico. And most scholars and theologians believe that they were on Solomon's portico, which is an important part of the temple there in Jerusalem, okay? So they're out on this porch that's way high up, many stories up on the temple. And Satan looks out and, and he says to Jesus, he took him to the holy city and set him on the uh, pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. You can just jump off this ledge, Jesus, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, you can jump off this ledge and prove that you're God, and God will save you through his angels. Essentially what he's saying. Jesus said to him, verse 7, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So that's the second temptation of Jesus. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. What incredible, incredible pride and hubris there to think that he could give Jesus all these areas, right? All these things. He says, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, what? Be gone, Satan. The way I learned it growing up was Get thee behind me, Satan, right? From the King James. 
I still remember that. My parents used to drill that into my head. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. These are the temptations of Jesus that we see there in the desert. After a period of time of fasting, he is led into temptation. A couple points that I just want to make. First of all, in each of these temptations, the devil is coming to Jesus, and he is actively doing something, okay? And I think that's important for us to understand because with our temptations, I want you to hear this, and we don't talk about this a lot here, and maybe I should more, um, but Satan is actively trying to, to pull you and I down in terms of our faith walk, those of you who are Christ followers. He's actively trying to target us in our faith walk and bring us down and, and cause us to fall into sin because he doesn't want God to get the glory from our lives. And when we do that, we, we fail to bring God glory with our lives. But when we resist that temptation, we bring God glory. We bring him pleasure with our lives. And so you see that there in verse 3 when the tempter came, and you see it in verse 5 when the devil took him and set him up on that pinnacle, and then in verse 8 where it says he took him to a mountain, that Satan was active in this. The temptations were active in Jesus' life in this instance. But Jesus didn't sin, did he? Not one time do we see him sinning. And so in the temptation, we see the humanity of Jesus. In the resistance to sin, we see the divinity of Jesus, right? The, uh, as the Union Pacific Railroad, uh, now several centuries ago, was being constructed, and an elaborate trestle bridge was built across this large canyon out west. Wanting to test the bridge, the builder loaded a, a train with enough cars on this train and weight in these cars and equipment to double its normal payload. And he had the train engineer take the train and put it out on this trestle bridge and leave it there for an entire day. One worker asked the builder of the bridge, are you trying to break the bridge? He said, no. He said, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. And you see in Jesus being tempted but yet resisting the temptation, we see the perfection of Jesus. Maybe more so than anything else we see in Scripture. And if you watch a movie or read a book or hear someone say that Jesus failed in any of these temptations, they are wrong. You cannot find it in God's Word. It's made up. And so we see both the humanity and the divinity of God. We see the fact that he was tempted in every way you and I are. But we also see that he was perfect in that. And both are important for us as Christians. Both are important for those of you who may put your faith in Jesus today or over this Christmas season or some time in your life. Understanding that God was all God and all man is important for us to understand. We don't have to understand the how behind it, but we have to understand that he was. And because Jesus experienced this temptation, because he experienced temptation, you and I can identify and learn from him. Uh, when I was growing up, these three different uh, temptations were known as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Some of you probably kind of that rings with you or you recognize that. I want to say it in different words to help us maybe understand it a little bit today. Uh, first is, is that temptation targets our weakness with the lure of what satisfies our desires. 
You see, in the first temptation of Jesus, um, he experiences hunger, right? That's just a man-made thing, right? We all are hungry, and if he was all man, he would have experienced hunger. And Satan drives at that human potential weakness in Jesus. And we see through that that temptation is going to target areas where we are weak with the lure of desire. Like there's something that's going to satisfy that other than God in our lives. And he's going to go right to that thing. Last year in 2000, at the end, towards the end of 2013, I did a, an extended fast uh, in my life. I drank water, but I went um, uh, quite a few days. I felt like God was leading me to do this. And it was a very difficult experience. I didn't make it to the end. I'm just going to be honest with you. I failed uh, before the end came. I remember I had a sloppy joe after a long time. That was a terrible thing to eat. <laughs> after you've done an extended fast, it was awful. But I was at someone's house. And anyway, just I had put myself in a circumstance where I should have kept going, and I didn't. But I got to tell you, it wouldn't have mattered what you put in front of me at the end of that. I would have eaten it. Right? After a long period of not eating, like you would eat anything, right? I mean, I cannot, like steamed spinach, I cannot stand. Celery, I, I, don't, I know it's weird, there's no taste in celery. I don't like celery. My mom would have been proud of me at the end of that period of time because I would have eaten anything that you put in front of me because I was so hungry. And that's the way weakness and desire works, isn't it, right? And we understand it with hunger, but there are so many things where we have a weakness and we fill that with a desire other than God. It may be alcohol. It may be sexual immorality. It may be looking and seeing things that you shouldn't. It may be believing things about yourself that someone else says that you know is not true. It may, not, it may be not having God confidence in who you are as a person. There are so many different ways that this uh, makes itself uh, apparent in our lives. But temptation will target our weaknesses with the lure of what will satisfy that desire. And Christ follower, if you're here today, I, I got to tell you, um, the evil one knows exactly what that is in your life and mine. And I'm no different than you. I'm no different than you. My specific areas of temptation may be different, but I have to find ways to resist this just like you. There's none of us that can escape this lure of desire. That's temptation. That's the way that it works, and we even see it in Jesus' life. Uh, verses um, 1 through 3 here. Jesus, he was led by the Spirit. Verse 2, after lasting 40 days, he was hungry, and the tempter said, you know, you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Wouldn't Jesus have loved to have bread in that moment? Absolutely. He was hungry, but he resisted. You know, when we're weak, we more easily give in, don't we? Isn't that true? We more easily give in. When we're weak, we, we, we have the tendency to, to cave. We're, when we're weak, we have the tendency to more easily fall into the sin that we're being tempted with. When we're weak, I want to tell you, we can be assured that Satan will target us. When we're weak, we have the tendency to justify that just this one time I'll be okay, right? Man, I do that. Like just this one time, just this one time, it'll be okay. I mean, God will protect me, right? Just this one time. And you and I know that sin is never one time, is it? And certainly the consequences 
of that sin in our life on this side of heaven. I'm not talking about salvation. God has taken that sin away as soon as we accept him as our Savior. I'm talking about the consequences that we have to live with here on earth just one time can lead to ruin, can't it? And it has in so many people's lives. Ben Franklin once, say, once said that it's easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all those that follow it. It's true, isn't it? But we justify it by just that one time. Just that one drink will be fine for me. Just that one meal that I have with that person. Just that one party I go to. Just that one time that I cheat on this thing. Because I know it will get me through. And the just once mentality leads us to more and more sin. Secondly, Satan doesn't just target our weakness. He targets our strengths. In this case, our pride. Temptation targets our pride with the misuse of the abilities that God has given us. It, it targets our, our pride with the misuse of the abilities that God has given us. The devil took him to the holy city, set him up there on the portico. And he said to them, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now see, in this instance, um, Satan knew that Jesus was God, and that God could have come through and saved Jesus if he decided to jump off that ledge, right? And so he was tempting him with that power, like, you're all God, use your power. As I knock my water off the stage, that's nice. Use your power, uh, use God's power, thank you, Gloria, use your power to prove that you are uh, powerful. It's pride. And he tempts us with pride. And he tempts us with our abilities and our talents, those things where we are skilled at that God's given us. And we talk a lot about those things and how we can benefit the kingdom of God through those things, and that's a very good thing. But when we use them for selfish gain, they become prideful, don't they? When we use them, as Satan wanted to use in Jesus' case here, um, he wanted to use it to just prove something, that's dangerous and, and destructive, but he will target our weaknesses, he'll target our pride, he'll find those areas that we have pride, and he will come after them with temptation. And thirdly, temptation targets our ego with the abuse of authority that God trusts us with. Oh, man, that is so true, isn't it? Temptation targets our ego with the abuse of the authority that God trusts us with. Listen, there's one thing common to each one of us in here. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter what position that you have compared to someone else. The fact is, is that everybody here has authority over someone else. And what Satan is asking Jesus to do in this last temptation is to abuse that authority. And it's ego. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms. And he said, all these will be given to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And he's targeting his ego. Wouldn't that have been awesome for Jesus to say, hey, I, I got all of this. Which is kind of ironic because he was all God. He had it all anyway, didn't he? Like, I kind of want to go, Satan, you're just kind of stupid here, man, really. Like, if you really think about it. But he targets his ego. Many years ago, our uh, women's director at our church in Atlanta used this acronym for, for ego, edging God out. Have you heard that before? Edging God out. That's what Satan wanted for Jesus to do. And that's what he wants you and I to do uh, when, when he targets our ego. Edge God out so that we can stand by ourselves like I can do my own thing. I'm in control of my life, not God. I'm in control of other people, not God. 
And when we're tempted in that way, we can do terrible damage to those that we have God-given authority over. Am I right? Whether you're a parent or a boss or if you're in a school system. He's tempting Jesus just like he does with you and with me with our ego and using the authority that God's given us to punish and have our own gain. And it's interesting because Satan used, especially in that second temptation, he used an interesting tactic with Jesus. It's point number two. His primary tactic, please don't miss this if you're a Christ follower here, his primary tactic in temptation is justifying sin through a subtle twist of what's true. Satan, in every case, will use something that we can believe in, and he'll twist it just a little bit to make it untrue, but we think that it's true, and so we buy into it. That's the lore of temptation. And so he twists it just a little bit. Look what Satan says during the second temptation. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is very important to understand. He said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. Now, he's not not quoting, you know, um, some common uh, theme of the day or common, like, thought of the day. He's not quoting something else. Satan, the evil one, in this instance, is using Scripture that was written by a man by the name of David, you know, King David of of the nation of Israel, um, chosen by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. He's using God's own words against Jesus. That's what he does with you and me. He does the same thing. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Which is true, except for two little twists. One is, is he didn't really quote the verse right. Satan, in this instance, quoted Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It's the next verse. And Psalm 91, 11 and 12 says this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He left that one little phrase out. And then he goes on to continue to quote the verse right. In verse 12, On their hands I will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The first thing that he did is he actually misused it. But i got to tell you, as a pastor, it took me three times to find where he misquoted it. And I've studied this before. Do you see the deception that the tempter does with Jesus and that he does with you and me? He just, he makes it so subtle. He, he misinterprets it so subtly. And that's the second thing he does here is he misinterprets this. Uh, what David intended by this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was is that if you and I happen to stumble and fall, that God's angels are there to help us up. What Satan is telling Jesus to do is to, be, to live dangerously because you're all powerful and God can have his angels save you. Those are two completely different interpretations of Psalm 91. You see what Satan does? He'll just twist the truth. How this applies to you and me is as we buy into, man, this one little thing will just make you happy and God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Find in Scripture where God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be joyful. That's true. We talked about that in our last message series in Philippians. He wants us to be joyful because of our relationship with him. Satan will say to you, but if you do this one little sin, it will benefit all these people. 
If you do just this one little thing, it'll benefit all these people. And doesn't God want the best for these people? See, he just twists ever so slightly what we believe. Ever so slightly what the truth of God's word is. But Jesus knew the truth, and that's what he used to combat the truth that was twisted. That's point number three. Jesus resisted temptation by utilizing the power of the truth as resistance against the lure of lies and temptation. He resisted temptation by using the power of the truth, the real truth, as resistance against the lore and the lies of temptation. In all three temptations, Jesus used God's word, scripture, to resist Satan. Take a look real quick, Matthew 4, 4. Um, Jesus combated what Satan was trying to do uh, by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, by, by every word. This is the word. Lagos, that's what that word is in the Greek, that comes out of the mouth of God. Verse 7, he, he says to Satan in the second temptation, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's scripture. That's from his word. All the way back in the Ten Commandments, uh, thir- or, uh, and that's in the third one, Matthew 4.10. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone you shall serve. You see, if we are going to resist temptation that comes our way, then we, we all are going to have that temptation, we have to learn and exercise using God's word. If that's what Jesus did, and if it allowed him to resist that temptation, and he became God with us, Emmanuel, then we should try to resist that temptation too. But you know what that means? That means knowing and reading and studying this book, doesn't it? It's not just the good book. I don't like it when people say it's the good book. If you say that, I'm sorry, it's okay, you can keep saying that, but I don't like it. Because it's not just the good book, this is God's holy word to us. More than just the blueprint for life, more than just a good book, more than just some good stories and ways to live, this is God breathed. This is what he did by the Holy Spirit to give you and I the solution for our sins and the way to live once we become saved. And Christ follower, if you're here today, just like I have to remind myself sometimes, I've got to read and I've got to know and study God's word so that I can stand strong against the temptations that I face in life. Jesus faced temptations and because of that, we can find ways to resist temptation too. It's our bottom line this morning. Because Emmanuel, God with us, faced and resisted temptation, we can be confident that God provides a way out of our own temptations. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was speaking to the church in Corinth. And they had a lot of temptation and they had a lot of sin. That's the whole message of First and Second Corinthians. It's kind of calling this church out because there was a lot of sin even within the leadership of the church. And First Corinthians 10, Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of what? Escape. A way of escape that you may be able to endure. I I want you to think just for a moment. This is just private. You don't have to say this out loud, okay? It would kind of be inappropriate probably. But over the course of the last week, think about some of the sins that you committed. I bet in every single instance... 
when you have uh, disappointed God and when you've fallen short, that's what the word sin is in the old Greek, falling short of the glory of God um, in Romans. When you've done that, I'll bet if you thought for a, a while, you could think of a moment when you had that escape route, right? When you had that moment in time and that situation where, man, God provided it and you decided not to take it. The only reason I know that is because I've done it too. It's because I've done it too. I see that way out, and I choose not to take it. Listen, this is a partnership in resisting temptation. God will provide the way out. You have to choose the way out. It's a partnership. He'll give it to you, but it's up to you to use that escape route. We can't avoid temptation every day, but we can avoid some temptation by not putting ourselves in the position of having to resist in the first place. Sometimes we choose to spend time with people we shouldn't. Sometimes we choose to get involved with things that we know we shouldn't. Sometimes we choose to be in situations and circumstances that we know will lead us to falling for that temptation. And part of the escape route that God provides is for you and I to learn to say no. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite old-time preachers, said, said this. He said, what settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have that will support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. And then he says, there are two things that Satan says to us, lies, that kill us. And he says, we want to believe these, but we shouldn't. And the first one is, just once won't hurt. That never works out. We already talked about that. And then the second one is, is now that sin has ruined my life, I'm beyond God's use, and I might as well just enjoy sinning. That's a lie from Satan as well, isn't it? And then he ends by saying this, learn to say no. It'll be of, of more use to you than even the ability to read Latin. <laughs> I wish my eighth grade Latin teacher was still here so she could have heard that. Jesus had to be tempted. It was a way that he identifies with us, and now that we can identify with him. But you know what? He also needed to be tempted so that he would be the perfect son of God, so that he could provide redemption for your sins and for mine. And in doing, show, in doing so, God showing his love so much for all of humanity that he would provide that redemption through Christ. Father God, thank you so much that you're a God who understands and identifies with even our temptations. And God, I thank you so much that you are a perfect man, that you didn't sin. But God, I am thankful um, that you face that temptation because it helps me to connect a little bit at a deeper level with you. It helps me to be able to trust you to get out of those areas of temptation a little bit more. And God, I pray for those who are in here today who are already Christ followers. God, and I'm not going to ask for hands to be raised um, today in this room for this because we all are in the same boat. We all face temptation every day. And Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give myself and our church, the people who make up Hilton Head Island Community Church, the ability to trust you to provide a way of escape out of that temptation. God, I pray that you would help us to have the type of courage and conviction and character in our lives. God, that we would take that escape route when you provide it for us. 
God, I pray that you would help us to really read and know and study and understand your word so that when we are in positions, when we are tempted, we can stand strong on your word, not the common phrases of the day, not on self-sufficiency, not on relying on other people, but God, help us to be people who rely wholly on you and your word to us in those moments of temptation. Help us to be a church that does that so that our lives are honoring and glorifying to you. We know that um, the next sin that we commit isn't going to keep us from going to heaven with you when we die because that's what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for that. But God, we do want to honor you with our lives. And I pray that you would help each one of us who are Christ followers to connect with you, Emmanuel, God with us, and help us to be able to do that. God, right now, I just want to pray for those who may be here today who don't know you as their Savior. They've never put their trust in the fact that you came to be that Redeemer. You came to to give us full redemption and lived a perfect life. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never really trusted him for your salvation for eternity, I want to give you the opportunity um, to put your trust in in God's Son, Emmanuel, God with us. And so today, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer as I pray it out loud. I'm just going to invite you to pray it along with me. It goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus, this little baby we celebrate at Christmas. And God, thank you for doing that for me. And today, I just admit that I fail a lot and I have a lot of problems and I sin and I disappoint you. And today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I promise I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, thank you. Anyone else today? thank you for those who raised their hand, God. Your word says the angels in heaven are rejoicing because someone put their faith in you. And God, I pray that you would help them in their new faith walk. Help them that this Christmas season, they made the most important decision in their life. A decision not just for a period of weeks or, or months or years. It was a decision for eternity. God, I thank you for that. And I pray that you would help them in their new faith walk. If you prayed that prayer in here today um, and you meant it and it was real, I want to encourage you to do something. Those of you who prayed that prayer, just look up at me for a moment. There were a few hands that went up. I want to encourage you to uh, fill out that card. There's a card that is on the back of that worship folder. And uh, just indicate where you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And uh, take that back. Um, Stacy's back there and she's going to give you a Bible if you don't have one. But I want to follow up with you personally. I want to just call you and just talk to you about your decision that's all i'm going to do and i just want to encourage you to do that today let us know about your decision today by taking that card back and giving it to stacy it's so important that you do that that you have some follow-up so you can have some tools in your new faith walk okay father thank you for this time and now we just give you all the praise and all the glory because you came down to this earth and in doing so you demonstrated how much you love us and we thank you for that in jesus name we pray